Hi everybody, my name is Pat Hogarty and welcome back to California Real Estate Practice, Real Estate 310. Today happens to be show number 24. Uh, what we're going to be talking about today is uh, uh, sales of businesses. One thing I do want to mention to you though, is, uh, and uh, that's very, very important, is the fact that if we take a look at the actual class schedule that you may have, you should be getting close to where you're actually having to do your business plan or complete your business plan. One of the things that I wanted to mention to you, and the reason why I'm doing this, is that I had a student come in right before class, and they were asking me some questions about the business plan. Remember that when you do come in to take the actual second exam, which you're going to be doing here in a couple weeks, you're actually going to be turning in your Scantron 882 in at the same time you're turning in your business plan. The other thing that I want to mention is the fact that show number six, show six is where I had spent an entire hour of going over what the business plan project was about, what the documents were that you needed to complete and fill out, and what the final plan would possibly look like. I have an example plan in there. So again, I highly recommend, especially so, since we now have it on the uh, website and you can watch it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I highly recommend that you go ahead and sit down and watch that again before you complete the business plan. It'll, it'll show me walking you through all of those documents. And again, if you don't ha happen to have one of those, uh, if you can't see it on the web, remember uh, if, at home, remember you can come here to the campus and you can use Blackboard and watch it in any of the places, either in our uh, Learning Resource Center here on campus, in the Learn, uh, where the students come in, in room, I think it's 141, or you can go over to the business building, room uh, 151, B151. The only thing that you'll need to do is bring with you a headset that you can listen because we don't have speakers available. I think in the Learning Resource Center, we do have headphones for you. The other thing is, is if you do happen to come to campus, remember that we always have a copy of the show if you go to the instructional media counter uh, in room 141, which is on the first floor, you can also check that out, but you have to actually sit there and watch it. So there's a number of different ways, but I highly recommend you watch that again so you know what the final product actually should look like and what the processes you need to go through. So today I'm going to move on. What we're going to be talking about is the first part of um, this uh, show 24. It's going to be talking about the sale of a business or sales of businesses. And I'm going to move over here uh, in a second to the uh, document camera. A couple of things that I wanted to point out to you is that what this chapter is really trying to say to you is, is that, you know, there are other ways that you can kind of make a living in the real estate business and the sale of different types of things besides just homes. Uh, last time we talked about real estate investment. Uh, another thing that you can do is, where, as this chapter talks about, is uh, how to expand your, your real estate field or what you're doing in real estate besides selling houses. And one of the ways you can do this is by selling businesses. And so this is the first part of this chapter. And I think they'll, as we go on, they'll talk a little bit more about mortgage, loan, brokering, and some other things. But the concept, again, is... Uh, what other things can you do with your real estate license besides just selling homes? Are there other kinds of opportunities out there for you or things that you may want to specialize in? So that's what this basic uh, page had to deal with. What I wanted to do, though, is take a second and talk a little bit about, uh, about one, when we talk about the sale of a business, what we're really, really discussing. Uh, a lot of you may may not realize this now, but when you actually do go out uh, into the community on a daily basis, all of those stores that you go to, all of those businesses that you deal with, those small businesses, are places that uh, potentially could be where you could list them for sale, help the owner try to sell the property and find another owner. Uh, I'm going to give you an example here and uh, on this page and break down what consists of a business and then we'll talk a little bit about it. Uh, I'm going to put this up here on the old document camera. Uh, the three categories when you get ready to sell a business, there's three different areas that you're going to want to be focusing on. The first one has to do with the real property. And basically, let me just take a minute and explain to you what we mean by real property. What would happen is, is that you may, for example, just as an example, have somebody that owns, say, a gas station. And maybe they own where the gas station is located as they actually also own the property that it sits on. 
So you may find out that if you're going to be working with them, you're not only going to be selling the real estate itself, you may actually also end up helping them sell the business part of it. And when I say business part, this is that business itself, like a gas station or a garage, if you will, will have the gas pumps. It may have a convenience store tied to it. It may have a repair facility in the back where they do things like uh, engine oil changes, tune-ups, major uh, engine work on a car. They may actually do body work or whatever, body and fender work, repair work uh, for the car. So you may be involved in helping them in this total transfer of that entire business. But keep in mind that the reason why we break this down is, is that you're gonna f you would want to focus first on the real property because you're talking about selling that. Also, too, another thing why we want to kind of break out this real property separately is, is that while you may the people may own the real property, you also may be involved where they don't own it, they're leasing it. As an example, uh, a place that I go to on a fairly regular basis is a coffee shop up in Cameron Park. And the gentleman that owns that particular coffee shop, which is in a shopping center, actually has a five-year lease on that uh, area where his coffee shop is located. He's uh, Out of the five-year lease, he's had it at about two years, and he's interested in selling the property. Part of the process that the agent that's working with him to help him sell it is that agent is working with the landlord that owns the shopping center and negotiating the, uh, the uh, if you will, the takeover of the, new, of the existing lease by a new owner who's going to buy the property. So in other words, you may be involved in negotiating a lease or actually working and selling a property. So that's important that we know that. The second thing is, is that you may be involved in something called personal property. This is personal property, tangible property. So what do we mean by that? As an example, if you're talking about a garage, you know, where you're repairing a car, you may be talking about things like the test equipment that they're using to test the cars, you know, uh, uh, you know, in other words, to see if they're running correctly, the computer equipment. Or maybe they're a smog repair facility and you're dealing with a smog equipment that checks to see if they can pass the smog inspection. You may be dealing with the uh, equipment that they utilize to change tires or redo the brakes on the car or something like that. If you're dealing with a shop that does something like makes, uh, say you're selling a business that uh, is a beauty parlor, which is a common thing that people uh, would maybe list and sell. You may be dealing with where the person that owns that who's a beautician, you're working with them and some of the personal property in the business might be things as simple as uh, maybe display cases where they display, you know, their shampoos and conditioners and all that stuff. And plus, on top of that, the product that's in that case. So you might be negotiating the, the inventory that they have on hand. Uh, you might be involved in taking care of uh, where the new owner says, you know what, since we're going to continue to operate this as a beauty shop, we need to have those chairs where people sit in. Uh, you may, some of the things that have been done by the owner might be sinks, might be all kinds of things that are taking to run the business. That's going to be part of the personal assets that are going to sell the property. To give you a couple other examples, if you're selling a video store, you might have the inventory that's in place and all the shelving that holds the videos on the wall, the display shelving. That's something that's going to be sold with the business. That's part of the sale. A restaurant business might be where you're selling uh, the tables, the chairs, the booths, uh, the cash register, the, um, you know, the walk-in boxes, the freezers, the grills, the fryers, all that is equipment that's going to go with it. So keep in mind that you have the real estate part, then you have the actual tangible assets you use to run the business. That has to have you and the, if you're listing the property for sale, you and the owner of that business have to sit down and come up with some kind of a value for that for the equipment that's there. And keep in mind that possibly that equipment only has value if it's used in that particular facility. Uh, in other words, if you took all those tables, chairs out and sold them at a flea market, maybe they wouldn't really ever get the amount of money that they're worth if they're in that particular business. But the point is you're going to be working with them and establishing the value for those assets that are going to be transferred. That's part of the personal property, part of the tangible property. The last thing that you're going to be involved with is something what we call the goodwill. And um, what I basically would say here in the area of goodwill, and this is the area in which, uh, you know, the real estate we can get a, uh, an, uh, an appraisal on. Uh, on personal property, we can have somebody come in and tell us what the chairs and the tables are worth and the fry cookers, and there are people that buy and sell this equipment on a regular basis. 
goodwill is something that can be sort of difficult to come up with because goodwill really means what is the value like if it's a donut shop what is the value of the people that show up every morning at the front door and if you open up at six o'clock in the morning those people that show up every morning and come in and buy donuts and coffee from your shop you know what is the value to that that when they come in there they're generating income for you if you're in the garage businesses which customers come back to you again over and over again okay that's the goodwill part that's the real value to that particular asset some of sometimes the uh, the actual real estate may not be worth in some cases maybe not a lot of money and it may be where the personal property if you took all the tables and chairs and everything out of a restaurant maybe you couldn't really get a lot of money for it but the real value is going to be in the goodwill or the income that's generated that's going to take where you're going to have to sit down with the client you're going to you're going to have to be gathering financial statements or helping them gather financial statements uh, that will talk about you know the, the current value in other words what's the current value of all their assets the book value of it what is the current value of any accounts receivable they may have that in other words money that's coming into them you may also be sitting down there and calculating things like what is the income that's generated and how long that income has been coming in. The longer the place has been in business, the longer, the longer it's been in business, uh, the more value there is to that income stream that comes in. Now, you may find out when you're working with these people, as you're helping to construct these statements, that you're going to have to maybe bring in some other professionals to help you and coming up with these final values. You may have to bring a real estate appraiser in for the property itself or to appraise the, what's the, the value of what's left on the lease. In other words, saying, okay, well, what's the value of a, of a five-year lease with three years to go on it? What's the value of that? Uh, what's the value of the personal property? You may be bringing in a personal property broker or, again, like, for example, if it's in the restaurant business, you may not know this, but there's a lot of companies around that actually buy and sell that equipment on a regular basis. They can come in and tell you what they would give you for the stove or the oven or the fryer. And then the last thing is you're going to have to have an accountant come in and look at all those financial statements and be ready, willing, and able to say, yes, these are true, these are honest, this is good information. Uh, this does show you what the value of the business happens to be, and that's very, very important that you put that, or you're going to be involved in putting that package together, if you will, for the client. Now, just so that you know, the people that are going to see that package are normally going to be the people that have looked at the business and actually are seriously interested in buying it. In other words, I'm not going to take all of my financial statements and put them out on the internet or put them out you know on a flyer in other words I may very well have where I give some basic information about the business the person that's going to get you know if I'm listing it the person that's interested in buying it maybe gives me a down payment not maybe but would give me a down payment and that down payment would be based on the fact that they want to buy the business but it would be subject to their inspection and they having their professionals come in and look at the business so they may very well say, subject to uh, having an appraisal, my appraiser coming in and appraise the value of the business, subject to me having talking to the landlord and finding out if the landlord is ready, willing, and able to allow me to assume the lease. Uh, I may want to look at the lease and see if the, uh, if the lease is something I can live with. Uh, this gentleman, uh, uh, some people will find out, for example, if you're in a retail area, they have, if you remember back to in real estate principles, when we talk about leases, you have things where they're uh, like a percentage of sales, where maybe the person says, you know what, I don't want to have a lease where after I earn, or if I'm going to, my intention is to come in and take this business and build it up, and after I built it up, now all of a sudden the landlord wants to start taking a piece of the action. I don't want that. I want to go someplace else. So in other words, the new owner is going to want to take a look at that kind of documents. They may very well want to see an inventory under the personal property of all the equipment that you own. They want to make sure that you actually do own it. And if you don't own it, if you're leasing it, where you're leasing it from, uh, some, of the equipments, some of the equipment that's used in business is not necessarily bought by the owner. They may find that it's more economical to lease it. They may, if you're owning a, a garage, an auto repair facility, you may find out some of that test equipment is so expensive that it's cheaper for them to lease it than it is for them to buy it. Uh, again, and then the last thing is they're probably going to want to have their accountant come in and take a look at all the financial statements. They want to make darn sure. The, the, 
The biggest thing that I found is that um, uh, some people, uh, especially if the closer you get to what we call a cash business, a business in which uh, checks are not written sometimes, businesses such as people like cut hair, uh, anywhere where somebody can just get cash and sort of put it in their pocket, they tend to not report that. They actually look that as a benefit, and they're actually breaking the law by doing it. Uh, a number of years ago, I was interested in looking at purchasing uh, what we call coin-operated laundromats. And the reason why I was interested in that is because when I was growing up as a kid, there was five kids in the family, and guess what? If the washing machine broke, guess who was the one that went out and did all the wash for the family? Me. That was one of my jobs. If you live in a big family, you know everybody has their job. And so because I had to do that and go to the laundromat, I kind of got used to that. Or I knew how they operated. So, you know, after I bought a couple of houses uh, or a couple of properties here in California, I went out and I started thinking, hmm, maybe the next thing I could do is maybe buy one of these coin-operated laundromats. I've been around them long enough. And it was interesting because when you go and you look in the newspaper and you see that they're for sale, you contact the real estate person or broker, and you sort of get the feeling after a while that in some cases, I'm not saying in all cases, but in some cases, people will sort of say, yeah, this is how much money we make, wink, wink. By the way, there's also a certain amount of money we don't declare, okay? The point is, is that you want to be very careful. You never want to put yourself in a position where people are buying a business and, and some of the income that they're going to expect to get is going to be something that is not disclosed on the financial statement. You're going to want to make darn sure that that company or that business is really making that much money. You don't want to buy it and then all of a sudden find out that, you know, guess what? It's, you know, they really weren't telling the truth because the only thing you can depend upon are those financial statements. A couple other things that you will probably do if you're buying a business or working with a real estate uh, agent um, is that you're going to spend some time actually at the business. You may very well, for example, I've known people that have bought restaurant businesses that will actually visit the business several times during the day or over a period of weeks. What they're looking for is they're trying to make sure they want to see who comes in, and if it's a restaurant business, they want to say who comes in in the morning, you know, who eats there, you know, are they really that busy, what kind of customers am I really talking about. If, if it's a generalized restaurant, like a Denny's-type restaurant, where maybe you have a breakfast menu, you have a lunch menu and a dinner menu, you want to take and find out, you know, who are those customers? When do they come in? How long are they there for? You know, what kinds of food do they like? Uh, you're going to look at some other things that are kind of, you know, if you're in the business, you know, how well is the place kept up and how well is it cleaned? You know, uh, what is your lunch crowd? Is your lunch crowd, are they coming from, uh, are they coming from local businesses around the area? Uh, are they, uh, you know, where are your people coming to? Where are your customers coming from? Same thing with the dinners. Uh, no matter what business you're in, you're going to want to really see that because, again, if, if, you, if your customers, for whatever reason, decide to go to another restaurant and you've sold this, you've bought this restaurant, you're out of business. Okay, very, very important that you spend some time in looking at it and understanding what's going on. Now, down the bottom of this page here, they give you an example of some businesses. And I'm just going to go ahead and kind of read this. It just says, Section 10, uh, 130 of the Real Estate Law defines business opportunity as a sale or the lease of a business and goodwill of an existing business enterprise. Existing. Not brand new, but existing. Uh, since this transaction consists of the sale of personal property, the rules and laws governing the transfer of chattels, personal properties, apply. Examples of this kind of business opportunity are things like drug stores, like in small towns you'll see drug stores, uh, service stations, uh, cocktail bars, restaurants, auto parts stores, garages, photo stores, beauty shops, dress shops, liquor stores, and others. It just goes on and on. Go into any shopping center. And all those small stores, you know, record stores, you name it. Uh, the other principal assets that are transferred in these sales are stock in trade or inventory, fixtures, equipment, and goodwill defined as an expectation of the continued public patronage. In other words, that the people are going to continue to come back and buy their lunch from you or buy their auto parts or get their car fixed there. Read the pro uh, Real property seldom is involved in the transaction. Instead, the existing lease or leasehold interest is normally transferred with the property. Okay, so you kind of really want to keep that in mind. 
Now, <clears throat> sometimes people will sell, say, well, why does somebody want to sell a business? I don't understand. Why do they want to sell it? And the reason why is, is that, you know, if I go in, if I decided maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago that I wanted to get into the um, uh, car repair business, in other words, fix cars for people, and I've been whacking away at it for the last, say, 20 years, I've earned a living, I've raised kids, you know, I'm getting close to the point where I want to retire. Now, I've put a lot of effort. I've maybe worked seven days a week. There's days I've maybe worked 12, 14, 15 hours a day to build up this clientele, these people that come back to me on a regular basis. And when I get ready to retire, I want to get something for my effort. Okay? And the only way that I can get something for my effort is to have somebody else come in and take my business over. And that usually happens by you selling the business directly to the outside public. In other words, putting an ad in the paper and selling it and then getting some income coming in from that. Either they pay you cash for it or they, you're carrying a loan that you've given them. Or, in some cases, by selling that business to an existing employee. Uh, for example, you could have a business where you're maybe doing glass work. You know, you're putting windows in houses. You know, you're repairing. You know, you go out and you put brand new windows in houses. You replace. You go from single pane to dual pane. You've been doing this for a whole bunch of years. And you say, you know, I pretty much had it. I'm tired. I'm tired of working six days a week, and you know what? I happen to have this guy that works for me. His name is Sam. He's been with me for about five years. Everybody really likes him. He's a hard worker. He really loves the business. Why don't I sell it to him? Okay? If you sell it to him and he takes it over, his benefit is, is now he has an opportunity to get into the business, to have his own business, which later on <laughs> he may realize he doesn't want to do, but he has the opportunity to do that. At the same time, you have a way of generating income from it. Okay, I've seen that happen. The same thing like with real, uh, insurance agents. People will say, well, you know, what happens if you stop and think about it? What happens to a real estate agent, or not real estate agent, but uh, an insurance agent when they get ready to retire? Well, all those customers that they've built up over the years, all of those people that have bought life insurance policies, car insurance, homeowners insurance policies, all those different insurance products that are people are renewing them every year, that agent, when he gets ready to retire, sells that, what would they call that book of business to another agent, okay? In fact, that's sometimes how one agent will build up a fairly large insurance business by buying the existing book of business from other agents, okay? So kind of keep that in mind. It's done on a regular basis. Dentists do it. Doctors do it. Lawyers do it. Professional practices. Uh, I've seen that happen even with my own dentist. Uh, he's been in business now. I've been going to him for, I don't know, 20, probably 30 years and a number of years ago, what he decided to do was to bring another dentist into the practice. And the reason why is, is because someday he's going to want to retire. And the only way he's going to get value out of that is by having somebody come in and take over the existing business. So it's a very, very important part. That's what we really want to stress. Um, it does mention that the first step that you're going to be involved with when you're listing a business for sale is the listing agreement. Okay, just like you would with a house, you're going to be collecting a lot more documents. Okay, a lot of a lot of a lot more stuff that you wouldn't necessarily collect with a home. Again, uh, it's a good possibility that this person has never sold their business before. They don't know how to prepare themselves to sell the business, and so you're going to be helping them collecting and putting all these documents together in an attractive package that they can then turn around and offer to uh, the community. So you're going to be involved in doing all of that. Um, a couple of things that I do want to mention is, is that when you do get ready to sell, you are, as they mentioned here, you are doing a no, uh, what we call a bulk sale. So you are going to have to have something called a notice um, uh, to creditors of the bulk sale. What that essentially means is this. The long and short of it is this. Any business on a regular basis has creditors. Every business has creditors. Uh, as a simple fact, uh, you may find out that uh, if you're in the uh, restaurant business, that the people that you're buying your salad, not your salad, but your, your vegetables from, or your meat from, or your milk from, or whatever, fish products from, that the, uh, it, not every day because your, your, your uh, food's getting replenished every day or every other day. They're not coming in and giving you a bill every day and then you're turning around and writing them a checkout. What you're finding is those creditors are delivering those products, whatever they happen to be, to your business. And then normally at the end of the month, 
or sometime you get a final bill that says you bought, you know, $2,000 worth of vegetables for the last month and you have to pay a bill. So what we're doing here is we're saying, listen, if you're going to sell the business, one of the things that's important that you do is you have a notice to let all the creditors know, and it's a public notice, to make sure that they're all aware of the fact that you are selling the business and when you do sell the business so that they can say, oh, wait a minute, if you're going to sell it, I want to make sure I get paid. I don't want to have somebody new coming in here and only to find out that, you know, that, you know, now you're le you've left and the, and the new guy turns around and says, well, listen, I'm not going to pay that bill. I, you know, I didn't use those vegetables. The old owner did. You know, so they want that, that notice published. Okay? Um, they do give you an example of what this notice to creditors uh, bulk sale document may look like here on this particular page. Okay, just a notice, a notice to creditors um, to let them know that, uh, that the business is actually going to be sold. Okay, so that's another important document that, you, uh, that you're going to want to know about. Right? A um, couple other things. Uh, you know, you're going to have issues to deal with such as uh, there might be some licensing and stuff that you're going to have to deal with. Let's just go down here. Uh, let me just see down here. Okay, one of the things that you're going to be concerned about is uh, uh, sales and use taxes. It says whenever a merchant, okay, merchant means just about anybody that's doing businesses. A merchant engages in businesses where sales of personal property at retail are made he or she must secure a seller's permit from the State Board of Equalization. That means if you're selling something that people are, you know, coming off the street, you know, that would be like a retail clothing establishment, okay? It could be where you're selling uh, some other kind of product. The point here is, is that one of the things when you take this listing agreement from the client, you're going to want to know exactly what licenses are required to operate that business and permits. So you're going to have licenses and permits. Now, the reason why that that is very important is because sometimes you may find out, as an example, like an alcohol, uh, alcoholic beverage license, you know, where you're selling alcohol on premises or off premises. Okay, what has to happen is is that in order for you to get the license, you have to have a background check. So if you've had, you know, if some, if your client that's buying the place has maybe had something happen in their background in which they are not going to be allowed to get the license, the new license. You need to know what that happens to be, okay? But the point is, is that you really will need to get a list of all the licenses and permits they may happen to need in order to actually operate the business. You don't want to get, sell them the business or have somebody come in and buy the business from them only to find out that after they've bought the business, they can't get that particular permit or that particular license, okay? So you're going to want to know about all of that kind of information. Okay, and we're going to move over here for a minute. Okay, okay. The, uh, they talk about, in this particular one, they talk about what you're going to use on the transfer of the property, the personal property. You're going to use something called a bill of sale. So it says a bill of sale serves, serves the same function in the transfer of personal property as the grant deed does in real property, okay? So again, you're going to have a, a bill of sale that's going to be made out and talk about the transfers of that property. And again, you're going to spend a lot of time collecting this information. Very, very important. Another thing that I really think that's important that you'll need to focus your attention on is, is the fact of the lease. If the property currently is leased, like in a shopping center, if somebody has a laundromat or a restaurant or a donut shop or a coffee shop, stands to reason that unless they're fairly wealthy and own the entire shopping center, in most cases they're leasing it. So here it says because few um, uh, uh, bill of sale uh, transfer the underlying fee title to the land and improvements. One of the major reasons why businesses sell for comparatively less in contrast to real property is that only the personal property is being pur purchased accompanied by an assignment of the leasee's interest in the real estate. This is a very important part. The thing that you want to find out is that if the place is leased, okay, if they have a lease agreement, you're going to want to sit down and read that entire lease agreement you're going to want to understand what kind of a lease it is. 
In other words, is it a gross lease, which basically means that the landlord turns around and remits some money to the, uh, I mean, the tenant remits the money to the landlord and the landlord fixes the electric lights, you know, pays the insurance, pays everything. Is that like, you know, normal house lease? Or is there a certain part of that lease in which the tenant is responsible for paying certain things? So you may have either a gross lease or you may have a net lease where maybe the tenant is responsible for paying some property taxes. Maybe they're responsible for paying, making all the repairs. Okay, so you need to know what that happens to be. The other thing is, is that if it's in any kind of a business establishment, you want to see if there's a possibility that, that there's anything, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word right now, but where the landlord can have a, uh, a percentage of the sales. It's called a percentage of the sales type lease. What that essentially means is like you see those types of leases a lot of times like in shopping centers. I think we talked about this, I know, in other classes we have where, you know, if you take a large shopping center and you ever wonder why in the world does that landlord, you know, start running, you know, different things like car shows, art shows, and stuff like that in the springtime to get tenants in there. The reason why is because guess what? That's an incentive because the landlord actually gets paid a regular lease payment plus a percentage of sales. So that's sort of like an inducement for them. If they can get more foot traffic in the place, then they can get a higher return on their property. So you're going to want to find out is the type of leases that are here, are there percentage leases or not? The other thing is, too, that's important is as far as the transferability of the lease. You can find out, like I would assume that if I had a lease that was five years, remember I've sat down with the landlord and made this lease out for five years and I've promised that I will stay there five years and maybe two years or three years out I decide you know what I, I want to sell the business. Well the landlord from the landlord's perspective the owner of the property he turns around and says or she turns around and says you know what you know listen I've got a guy that's already you're already leasing from me I get my payments on time you're a good tenant why do I, you know, why do I want to change that? You know, I'd like to keep you there. And so the point here is what you may find out is that the landlord may turn around and say, okay, I will allow this new person to come in and operate the business, but I want to hold the old owner still financially responsible for that lease, okay? In other words, they may not allow you to fully get out of the lease. So you're going to want to find out what the requirements are for that. That may take where maybe the landlord says, listen, if you want to sell the place, that's fine, but you're still financially responsible. Or you may come back and say, well, how do I get out of being financially responsible? Which essentially means that you're going to have to collect the rent from the new tenant, and then you're going to have to remit it back to the landlord every month. And then if the new tenant, if they buy the business and they go belly up or they go out of business or maybe they ruin the business, you're going to find out that you may be stuck having, if you're the owner of the business, you may be stuck getting the business back, not in the same shape it was in, and still being liable for a lease payment. So you're really going to want to know what those lease requirements really are. Okay, so we talked about that. Okay, valuation. Okay. Let me see here. They do mention in the book here a couple things uh, that I think is important. I've already talked about it. It says a business opportunity may have, have one value to the lessor, but an, another altogether va different value for the lessee. Um, I think we talked about this, but it says many, different, and many differences of opinion invariably exist between the varying degrees of knowledge and skills of appraisers and approaches they utilize. When the business is large, large and involved, Advise your seller to bear the expense of having it appraised by a trained specialist. Okay? And then it says, as might be expected, the value of goodwill is the most difficult part to measure. That is extremely difficult to measure. Uh, a couple things that you want to think about is, is, you know, why people, you know, stop and think for a minute. Why, when you go to a certain place, why do you go there? There's certain things that attract you to do business there. Uh, if you own, if you go and have your clothes cleaned out of dry cleaners, you know, we have a lot of dry cleaners in town. You may find out in your community you don't have one, you may have four or five. Why do you go to that particular one? There might even be one that's closer to your house. You know, you almost have to step back and think, why is this person successful? You may find out it has to do with the hours that they operate the business. They're open early in the morning so people can come down and pick their clothes up. They're open up later at night. 
They have the ability to turn around the cleaning in one day where the other guys don't. Okay? Uh, if you own a restaurant, you may find out that the reason why one of the most important parts of owning a restaurant is the chef. You know, the chef is the person, the cook, is the person that prepares the food. And if they're not directly preparing the food, they're supervising the people that are directly preparing the food. They're the ones with the recipes. They're the ones that are setting the tone. If you sell a business and that chef says, you know, I was working for Pat, but I don't like the new guy. I'm going to leave. You're going to find out that the reason why everybody came to that restaurant was because of the chef. And out the door goes all of your business. I've seen this happen in uh, other businesses. I've seen it happen in the beauty shop business. Uh, a beauty shop, uh, you know, where people get their hair cut, uh, a lot of it, you know, I mean, the personal equipment that's there, I mean, that's been there for a number of years, is not really a huge investment. What's really a value is those people come in to get their hair cut there because of their relationship with the people that are standing there doing the cutting. If the new owner moves in, comes in and, and, and doesn't get along with the existing employees, the employees leave and out the door goes all the business. Okay, very, very important that you realize what you're buying. It's that goodwill. So you have to really stop and think, why, is, why are these customers, why are they buying from this establishment? Why do they go to that garage to get their car repaired? Why do they eat at that place? Why do they buy donuts at that donut shop and not this donut shop? Very, very important aspect of the sale of a business. You need to really think about that a lot because... It can be a highly successful business, and then all of a sudden you sell the business and you find out, oh, by the way, out went the cook, out went the beauticians, and your ha business has no value at all. So very, very important. I've seen that happen many times. Um, okay, I think we pretty much, okay. All right, I, we talked about goodwill, okay. We talked about the alcohol beverage control, okay? One thing we want to point out here is this is if your business happens to be like a delicatessen, uh, a 7-Eleven, uh, a bar, anything like that where you're selling liquor either on the premises where people are consuming it or they're taking it off the premises, you have to have a license. So it says, as a broker negotiating the sale of a business involving the sale and distribution of alcoholic beverages, you should be familiar with the legal controls and procedures for transfer of liquor licenses or permit. In addition to federal statutes, many laws govern the manufacture, sale, possession of alcoholic beverages in California. A detailed discussion of the subject is not essential for this purposes. By the, uh, the, if you're interested, you can go to the DRE reference book, and it'll talk all about that. The point is, is that this still goes back to the fact that, you know, the, if you have a license, like if you have a restaurant, there may very well be an expectation that besides the food that you're going to be able to serve wine. The question is, is do you have to have a license? The answer to that is yes. Okay, what are the requirements? Can the new person get the license? Okay. Also, when we talk about permits, permits are different than licenses. Permits are where you've actually gone to, say, the county or the city and applied for something. That permit can be involve all sorts of things. You could have a permit like, is it okay for my, my uh, people that are eating at my restaurant to sit outside and drink their coffee? I may need to have a permit for that. I may need to have some permit for maybe parking purposes. So, again, permits are something else that you want to deal with. Okay? So, um, basically, I think that that kind of covers all of the stuff that, um, that we're dealing with in, when it comes to... Uh, the sale of a business. Now, you're going to find out if you're in the real estate business that if you're working in a small community, a small town, like last year I was back east, back in Massachusetts, in some of these small communities, you may find out of, that if you're in the real estate business back there that you're doing maybe a lot of different things in order for you to make a living. You may, for example, it's not uncommon back there to see where somebody would be have a real estate business selling real estate, in the same office, they may also be selling insurance because there's not enough homes in the community for them to, you know, make a living just selling homes. Uh, or it may find out that the real estate is extremely seasonal because of the fact that what happens is, is in the summer they do really well. In the winter, it's so cold and so frozen back that nobody buys any real estate. So you may find out they do another business. You may also find out in those small communities that they'll do things like selling businesses. That would be another area, another profit center they would have. 
Another profit center they may have is they may be loan originators. They may actually broker real estate loans or originate real estate loans. So you're going to find out the smaller the community, there's a good possibility that you may have to do a lot of different activities or have a lot of different profit centers in order for you to make a living. Conversely, on a large community like we have in Sacramento, you may find out that not only can you specialize in residential property, but you can also specialize specifically in a certain geographical area and just sell homes. Okay, So that really depends. The point here is that selling, listing and selling businesses is a very, very specific, uh, uh, if you will, field to work in. There are a lot of details that you have to know about. Uh, I would recommend that if that's something that you're interested in, there are a number of different books that you can get that have to deal with uh, sales of uh, businesses. You can go to any bookstore and look them up and get familiar with how all of the intricacies work. I would also recommend that if you're interested in something like that, contact a few of the agents that are here in town that do this, that list and sell businesses, and sit down with them and tell them that you're interested. If you want to find out who they happen to be, and you're not sure, go to the Sacramento Bee and look under the, and the classified sections of businesses for sale. And when you start seeing that people are selling bars, liquor stores, uh, you know, um, laundromats, whatever, call them up. You know, and just if you're interested, just say, hi, you know, my name is Joe. And uh, I'm a student at Sacramento City College, and I'm interested in, uh, you know, selling real estate or selling businesses. Is it possible for me to come over and talk to you about what a career like that would be and find out if they'll sit down and talk to you? So, again, you may want to find out and specialize because you're going to deal with a lot of different things. Okay, very, very important. The next thing that they talk about is an ancillary or an extra job that you can do is something called a real property securities dealer. And... What they're talking about here, and I'm going to read a little bit of this to make sure that we're all on the same page. It says, closely associated with loan brokerage is the activity of real property securities dealer who is regulated under Chapter 3 of Article 6 of the Real Estate Law. The essential difference between real property securities dealer and real property loan broker is that a loan broker is dealing with new loans in the primary mortgage or money market. Okay, brand new loans. Uh, while a real estate property de uh, securities dealer, and let me see if I can find the right page to go to on this. Just get the thing here. Okay. Is engaged in the secondary market in addition to a host of activities that come under the definition of real property securities dealers. So I'm going to read a little bit more of this, and then I'll talk about it. It says, the statute that regulates this area of real estate activity over bulk sales transaction and trust deeds, real property, sales contracts, and investment. Okay, um, let's just read this one part here. It says, a real property securities dealer is defined as any person acting as a principal or an agent who engages in the business of selling real property securities to the public. Okay, uh, let me see if I can give you a better idea here. Um, okay, real property must, okay. Let's just talk a little bit about this here. What we're talking about is when we're talking about a real property securities dealer, we're talking about in the first part they were talking specifically about where you're a mortgage loan broker. What they mean by a mortgage loan broker is this, that you're not working for one company. In other words, uh, if you are working for Wells Fargo Bank or you're working for Bank of America and you're originating mortgages, okay, you're working directly for that company. You may, on the other hand, be working for a company like Viatech who's going to be saying, listen, we as Viatech, which is a large company, we are going to go out and find people that want to borrow money uh, to buy a house or to refinance. Okay, We're going to find people that want to do the original loan. When we go out and talk to those people, we are going to be representing a lot of different lenders and banks. In other words, that loan brokerage company may be representing Wells Fargo, Washington Mutual, several different people. And what they're doing is they're going out, collecting all the information, then going back and looking at whatever the best company is to suit those clients' needs. That's a loan broker, original loans. 
When you're, on the other hand, when you're dealing with more of a securities dealer, you're talking more about taking a look at where the loan, typically in a lot of cases, what I've seen, loans that are second loans that have been created are bought by investors. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If I sold my house today and the interest rates where they are now are starting to get to be extremely high, I may find out in order for me to sell my house, I need to, ha I, I, you know, it's very hard for people to maybe get a brand new loan to pay off my existing loan. And so the best way for me to do this is that I will become the banker. I will become the lender, okay? So I may say, okay, I'm going to sell my house. My house, I'm going to sales price is going to be $400,000 for the house. I have an existing loan on the house in the amount of $300,000. We've talked to the bank. The bank has agreed to allow you, the new buyer, to come in and assume my existing loan. That's okay. That's not a problem. And what I'm going to do is, is I, and that, that leaves $100,000 left that has to be financed. What I'll do is I'll allow you to put down $20,000 and I'll carry the remaining part of the loan, that $80,000, I'll carry the loan. I'll become the banker, okay? I'm the personal person. So what happens is we have an escrow. Escrow goes through. The existing lender has the new buyer fill out whatever the paperwork is that's necessary to take over the loan. I've gone over all the paperwork. Uh, during the escrow, we've created this note and this deed of trust, this brand new note and deed of trust that's in favor of me. I'm the one that's going to collect the money. And so anyway, we close the transaction. I'm sitting around, and every month I'm maybe getting a payment from the new buyer on a regular basis. And maybe I've had this for two or three years, and you know I'm pretty happy I'm getting a, a monthly payment. And then something happens in my life, and I decide, you know what, I need some more money, and I need it right away. And I take a look around and I say, well, I don't have a lot of money in the bank, or maybe I do and I don't want to use it. But what I do have is I have this, this deed of trust, this note and deed of trust that I get money on a regular basis. And what I want to do is, is I, I, want to, I want to get more money so that I can go out and buy a new car or a new boat or something. So what I decide to do is I'm going to sell that loan. In other words, that loan has a value to it. Originally, it was worth $80,000. Maybe by now, I've had it a few years. Maybe it's paid down to maybe about $79,300, and I'm going to sell it. So the question is, is, well, how do I go about selling it? Typically, what I would do is that if I, if I didn't want to deal with the people, the public directly, I would deal with somebody called a mortgage loan broker. Okay? What this person's job is, and this is something that you can be involved in, is that you're going to be the one that's actually going to list that loan, Okay, in other words, you're the one that's going to get all the particulars about that loan. And then you're going to be the one that is going to try to find an investor to buy that existing loan. Now, typically what would happen with that is, is that you would probably, if I called you up and said, Hi, Joe, this is Pat. I want to sell the loan. I gave you the specifics about it. I may say, oh, by the way, the interest rate on the loan is 6%. 30-year amortized loan. It's been in existence for three years. The payment record for the person is really good. Now, if you think about it, the person that's going to buy that loan is not going to give me, they're trying to make a profit, they're not going to turn around and give me the same amount of money that's owed on the loan. That wouldn't make any sense. You know, they're trying to make a little bit more money. So what they'll do is they may very well offer me. They may say, well, you know, the person owes you $79,000 on the loan. I'll tell you what, I'll give you $60,000 for it. Okay, Now, I, as the owner of the note, may turn around and say, you know, that's pretty good. That's about what it's going to take for me to buy my new boat, and I'll be happy and I'm gone. And I get my money today, not tomorrow. I get it today. Well, the person who's the agent that's been setting all this up is a loan broker. And if you look in the newspaper, there used to be a lot of them in the newspaper, and it really depends upon what the marketplace is, but there used to be a lot of these loans that were listed in the paper for sale. And when you called up on them, you'd be talking to a real estate loan broker. And what they would do is you typically, if you were looking to buy, you would be an investor. And you would be somebody that would have decided to do something like, you know, I could put my money in stocks and bonds and mutual funds, but I like real estate. I don't want to manage it, but I like it. I think I have an eye for it. And I don't want to have to deal with tenants. I just want to have a stream of income for it, and I want to get a good return. So what I'm going to do is I'll buy notes. So that's the kind of person I am. And you as the broker are the one that puts the two of us together. And then you collect a fee for that. You collect money from 
out of the transaction, out of the escrow uh, commission for putting the buyer and the seller together on the note. Okay, that's what a loan broker, that kind of a loan broker does. The people out of buying those loans, by the way, could be buying them for a number of reasons. They may decide to use it to fund their retirement plans. They may be looking at it as a loan. In other words, putting them, having something like a self-directed IRA or pension plan that they can choose which investments they're going to go into and that you would be involved in, in, in helping them find those types of investments. Okay, So that's another area where you may find out that you have an interest in. Uh, Going on down the line, there are a couple other things in here that we can talk about. The next thing is something called notary pub, uh, public services. This typically, uh, remember, anything that, anything that the county recorder is going to record, a, pub, a public information is going to be recorded, it's going to require a notary. It's going to require an acknowledgment. Now, what's interesting about this is that agents have looked at this. At one time, it was like, a, like you dealt with it with like an escrow company. Like, listen, the only way I'm ever going to make any money at this is that if, uh, you know, somebody, I'll put a sign up so outside the door that says Notary Public here, and people will come in, and uh, I'll, I'll notarize their documents, and I'll have the appropriate stamps and everything else that are in place for them, you know, to sign everything off. And it was just more or less looked at as a service. In other words, just maybe something a service to the community. There wasn't a lot of money to be made doing it or whatever. This has gotten to be, I wouldn't say a big business now, but it's gotten to be a fairly larger business than it has in the past because people are putting this notary business together with a, sign, uh, a document signing service. And let me explain what this basically means. And if you're ever interested in this, there's a couple classes given at this, given in this at the learning exchange. But what they're doing is, is that uh, if you take a look at a lot of the companies that are doing work or doing business on the Internet, like making loans over the Internet, like Diatech, some of those other companies, they don't have a local presence. They don't have somebody here locally that can sign those documents. So what ends up happening, and I've had a couple students in my class that have done this, uh, what they do is they become a notary and a document signer, which means that the, that the company will turn around and mail to them or email to them or fax to them these loan packages and then ask them and then these people will go out to the individual's home or business where they're actually signing this paperwork. They will have them sign all the documents. They will notarize whatever the appropriate stuff is and then send it back as a package back to the originator. So you could actually end up working for uh, some of the services are used sometimes by even large uh, lenders that uh, say, you know what, we need to have somebody have all this notarized and signed, but our people are not here today. They only can come in on the weekends. So anyway, this is something that has become more of a profit center than it has in the past. Uh, there, like I mentioned, I've had a couple students that have done this, and they've, they've, they've liked it. They have found out that there are documents signing companies that actually will make arrange for you to get the documents okay in other words they're the ones that are going out and making the initial contact with the lenders but they're collecting a fee for it so the fees that they get that they that they charge cuts down on the amount of money that you can make okay but anyway this is a, something that you can be interested in doing next thing is, is another area where you can get involved with is an extra activity is something called property management Property management is basically uh, can be, you know, can be as simple as uh, you have a client. In fact, this is the way some people get into this. They have a client that needs to sell a house, and for whatever reason, what ends up happening is that the house doesn't sell, and it can be because the market is slow. All you have to do, like right now, is drive around locally. Uh, in in the Sacramento area, the interest rates are continuously going up, at least right now. And you see more and more for sale signs. Houses are not selling. And you stop and think about it. Somebody has to buy. You know, people still get job transfers. They still die. They still retire. They still need, have needs to move. And for those people that actually do have to sell, have to sell, but for whatever reason their property doesn't sell right now, may decide to turn and decide to rent it out. And if they rent it out, guess what? They may actually talk to you. And before you know it, you may find out that you do one, you do two, and the next thing you know, you've got houses that you're managing. 
this is something that some people really like a lot and some people can't stand. <laughs> it depends. If you're in a small town and you're the only real estate company in town, you may find out you're doing all these activities. If you're here in Sacramento, you may find out you specialize in something that, you know, agents that have listings and people want to rent them out, the agent doesn't even want to be involved in it. They'll just say, here, here's the name of a property management company, call them. But basically, if you are involved in property management activities, it would be things like getting an actual like listing, if you will, to, to, or the authorization to rent the property out. That would cover things like what the rental rate is, uh, or the lease rate is, what uh, what's going to have, who's going to pay what. In other words, what the landlord's going to take care of. The landlord may say something like, "I'll take care of the water and the sewer, but I don't take care of the gas or the electrical." Uh, who's going to take care of the repair work? In other words, this document is going to cover all of this stuff. And what you're really talking about in there, in this management document, is what kinds of things you as the as the agent can go ahead and approve by yourself to get repaired. So in other words, the owner may say, hey listen, anything that goes wrong with the house up to a value of $500, don't even call me, just call whoever it is, you know, your, the service that you use and have them take the repair and then deduct it from the rent from me, okay? So you may find out, and then you're going to have additional fees. You'll have a fee that you receive every month for managing the property, You're probably going to receive a fee for doing things like finding tenants. You may get like maybe half the first month's rent or the whole month's rent or some kind of uh, fee for finding tenants, running background checks. And again, if you're doing a lot of these, you can find out that this can be a fairly stable source of income. And property management can involve everything from a single-family house or a condominium to, you know, shopping centers, office buildings. So, in other words, there's a lot. It's, it's not just little houses. It can be a very large activity. You can also be involved in doing escrows. Um, again, this is something that you're not doing it for people, for other companies. You're doing, the, the law is written in such a way that you're doing the escrows for b properties that you're actually involved in selling, okay? Again, it can be a profit center, but you're going to find out that it's a very hard way in some ways to make a living doing this. If you're in a small community, small town, it might be okay because you're the only guy in town that can do this, but you're going to find out that... Uh, like if you talk to a lot of title insurance companies and you say, well, how many transactions does an escrow officer do on a monthly basis? You're going to find out that they're doing maybe 50, 60, 70, 80 transactions a month. In other words, they're focusing and doing a lot of work on a monthly basis. So you have to do a lot of these in order to make a living, okay? But it's something that you can possibly be involved in with. Uh, we did talk about loan brokerage activities. You can be involved in that. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, and again, you can find agents that will argue both sides of this. Some people feel that, uh, that uh, it's very difficult for you to keep up on the financing and doing a good job on financing as well as looking for houses. That is a very difficult thing to do. There are a lots and lot. there's hundreds of programs out there to fit people's needs. Trying to keep track of what the best solution is for your client, looking at all the various kinds of programs, can be fairly difficult. Okay, but you may very well find out that maybe maybe you'll very well find out that the loan brokerage is something that you want to do, and that might be where you're involved in originating loans. Okay, a lot of people like that, uh, mainly because of the fact that it's a little bit more. Uh, how could you say? Uh, most of the business is done during the week, although a lot of the new agents will do a lot of businesses at night and on weekends in order to generate new income if they haven't done it. But anyway, so this is just continuing on uh, here with all the different types of ways that you can look at possibly making some additional money. That's what this chapter is around from businesses to other things. The next time we meet, we'll be talking about some things called syndication. We'll be talking about real estate counselor. You know, selling mobile homes, some of the other activities that are involved. Please remember that we have your business plan. You should be completing up your business plan. And you're going to be turning that in when you come in to take your uh, exam. Thank you very much for coming, and we'll see you back here the next time for show number 25. Thanks again. Thank you.